Hello and welcome to the African Data Scientist Podcast, a podcast where we get to tell the story of the African AI and data science potential. I'm your host for this episode, Stephen Oladele. In this episode, they had a conversation with an African data scientist, Salomon Kabongo, an NLP researcher under the African Masters in Machine Intelligence Program, AMMI, which is part of the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences Program, AIMS, which provides an ecosystem of advancement of machine learning in the service of global society. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate 5 Star wherever you're listening to your podcast on, share with your colleagues and social network. You can also consider listening to the podcast at a higher or lower speed than normal. The show notes contain other details. And without further ado, let's dive right into the episode. Hi, Solomon. Welcome to our show. How are you doing today? Yeah, Stephen. Um, I'm good. And uh, thank you for having me today. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a wonderful uh, discussion. Yeah, we're absolutely delighted to have you on the show today. Um, of course, you were recommended to us by Evangelist. And it's been amazing going through your work and what you're doing so far. And we would, of course, love to hear and learn a lot from you. Please introduce yourself to our listeners and, of course, what you're currently working on. Great. Um, yeah, so I'm Solomon Kabungo. Um, I'm from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, most people know it as DRC. Uh, I'm currently in Ghana, specifically in Accra, uh, where I'm uh, finishing my uh, master's degree at the, the African Master in Machine Intelligence, uh, which is a program under the African Institute. In mathematical science, AIMS. Um, currently, I'm basically working on my research project and I'm working on uh, live translation. I'm interested on uh, how can we uh, do uh, automatic speech translation from uh, English to Lingala, which is okay. one of the most spoken languages in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm, pretty awesome. Um, just so listeners should know, um, Solomon is perhaps the third athlete of AMIS that's been on the show of AIMS. Sorry, that's been on the show. Uh, we had Evangelist Michael on the first episode. Listeners, you can go check that out. As well as Jeremiah Fadubba, who is a teaching assistant at um, the AIMS and AMMI. And thank you so much, Solomon, for such introduction. What has your career journey been like? And you know, how did that shape your, your decision to become a a machine learning researcher. Wow, thank you for the question. Uh, I think my journey uh, was a little bit <laughs> different and uh, fun at the same time because at first I, I did my undergrad back in DRC. I had to actually move from my local town to another town because I wanted to go in a big university, uh, one of the biggest universities back there in the country, which is uh, the University of Lubumbashi. Congo is a French-speaking country. Okay. So I had to move to leave my parents and come to that university to do uh, computer science. That was my motive because I was uh, I liked programming and coding. So yeah. um, unfortunately, when, when I, I reached there, there were no computer science major in my university. So I was kind of confused. And uh, the, the only option that was there, it was mathematics and computer science. So I, 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 I was kind of obliged to to go for that. So, and unfortunately, again, when I, I get into that, there were basically not much of computer science on it, so just, you know, pure mathematics. And okay. um, I, I had to, to go with that. I, I did a lot of topology, uh, functional analysis, differential equation, and stuff like that. And uh, in my country, you need to do five years for you to get a uh, bachelor degree. So I did five years. And after that, I had a lot of mathematical foundation. 
but with no practical, you know, computer science skills. My coding skills were not that great at that time. So basically, I was in a very frustrating uh, space because um, I didn't know what is my, um, how can I assist my society? How can I be a, a solution to the problem that the, the, the country is facing and the problem that humanity is facing as, as a whole? So uh, I was fortunately enough uh, in 2018 to get a scholarship, a first scholarship by uh, AIMS, the African Institute for Mathematical Science to do my master degree in South Africa um, at the University of Western Cape. So that was uh, my revelation, if I can say so, and I'm always grateful to Ems for that. And it's during that master degree that I finally got introduced to machine learning and artificial intelligence. And that was mind-blowing because I could now see my mathematical knowledge, uh, how can... How can I see the link between that mathematical knowledge and solving a practical problem? How can you recognize object inside the video? How can you do translation from one language to another one? So all the notion of mathematics that I've been learning before, even though frustrated because I didn't know how to apply them, is not making much more sense to me. And yeah. that was one of the biggest experiences that I had in my life. And uh, uh, I knew that machine learning was done for me and it was a best fit for my career. And since then, I've been enjoying the journey so far. It's really been a fascinating journey. I mean, who would have known that from such a prestigious university in the Congo DRC and having to go to your master's and you know, get introduced to AI and see where they matter because, of course, mathematics is like you know the foundation of working machine learning and artificial intelligence today. And Absolutely. It's been such an amazing journey. And I'm, I'm absolutely delighted you're, you're here, um, Salabar. Thank you so much. So I'm sure some of our listeners would definitely love to know, you know, how's life as an African researcher? Because I, I know you're currently a researcher yeah. and you spent more time in the academia than in the industry. So how is life as an African researcher? How can you describe that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that question. That's actually a great one. So, um, you know, uh, one of the great uh, things with research first in general is it's exciting, you know, uh, you wake up in the morning, you don't know actually uh, exactly what you are looking for, but you know yes. that I'm kind of making steps towards something that I will achieve that will be beneficial for the humankind in general. So you are trying to kind of push the boundary of knowledge, trying to think uh, on things that will affect the way we live our life today. For example, one of the things that are possible today, for example, people that move from one country Recently, I don't know Ghana too much because I'm in Accra. I was somewhere okay. in Accra. I didn't know the place, but I was confident that whatever I am, I can take a Uber back home because I know that I can't get lost. I'll just take a nap, get into a Uber. I put the destination of where I'm staying. I will get back home. Those things are possible because some researchers come up with an idea to think of how can they, you know, build those applications and so on and so So that's for research in general. But in African researchers, it's again more exciting because you are working on things that you may be the only one working on, um, especially in the field of natural language processing. You realize that there is no much, uh, there's not a lot of researchers currently, you know, doing uh, research on uh, a lot of natural language processing tasks. And you will uh, realize that you are alone over there and you know that the, fun, the thing that you are working on, even though currently there is no one who is looking at it, maybe there is no a lot of people that are interested in it, but in the future, that will be a reference for other people. The notebook that you're putting on your GitHub will be helpful to the other generation that will be basing on that to build emerging technology. So this is one of the things that excites me the most, working on stuff that I know for sure that people will be using it for improving the state of the art in, in, in Africa. 
um, Solomon, I must say we are so lucky to have you in Africa, really, because I can sense the, the passion in your voice and the passion for impact. And it's so fascinating that yeah. we have a, a rare African researchers like you helping to you know, make the continent a better place through research in AI and generally research in science and, and other areas. Thank you so much, Solomon. And thank you so much to the amazing researchers, African researchers looking to make Africa a better place. Thank you once again. Now, Solomon, I'm moving back to your career generally and talking about more technical spaces like machine learning now, of course. Uh, in very accessible terms, you know, what is natural language processing and why should it really matter to us as Africans? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question and a difficult to answer. <laughs> so, so uh, in a very simple terms, um, so uh, I would just like to a little bit get back to uh, artificial intelligence first, uh, just okay. to quickly to, to the answer. So basically, uh, when we do artificial intelligence, we're just trying to produce intelligence, artificially uh, create uh, systems that uh, are able to have some kind of intelligence, some kind of reasoning. So and artificial natural language processing is a subset of that big field of artificial intelligence where we are now, we try to focus on how can computer understand uh, human languages, natural language. How how can a computer understand your text? When, for example, you Google oh, what is uh, uh, what is machine learning, how does computer understand that query to Google to give to you relevant results? Today, people can't live. Some of the people can live without Google. So we are actually googling everything, and all those things are possible because of natural language processing. So it. Uh, if I can just say it uh, quickly, it's a way of allowing computers to deal with text as well as the audio as well for for, for, uh, for speech recognition. So that's what I can say. And secondly, this second question was, uh, why should it matter to us as Africans? Um, yes. it, it was fun recently. Uh, we were playing with uh, uh, on my iPad with a friend. Uh, we're trying because I'm also interested in speech recognition. I was trying to to Google my name through Siri. For those that are familiar with Siri, the technology where you speak and it kind of gives you answers. So I was trying to tell him Google Salomon Kabumbo, which is my name, but it could not write my name properly because it's not able to write Kabungu because Solomon is, is popular, but Kabungu is kind of an African name. Yeah. And there were a lot of examples like that. If we, we are not working as African to make our names, to make our culture, uh, uh, to make our value represented in digital form, it will be difficult for us in the future. Decision that will come uh, for, for, for example, if you are applying for a job, if, for example, they are ranking researchers, they are ranking data scientists, if there are no African represented in that space, there will be bias that will be included in this kind of, uh, of, of query and this kind of search. So we should be represented in those areas to be able to bring our culture and our value in, in that space. Wow, it's so profound. Yes, uh, I'm talking about um, natural language processing being a subset of artificial intelligence, perhaps. And why it should matter to us as Africans? I, I think it's one of the things we're going to talk about more in this conversation. The, the fact that, you know, we are really not represented when it comes to, you know, state of the arts, um, natural language processing, improvements yeah. per se. But, you know, coming back to a more career-related question, you know, why did you decide to work on NLP as opposed to other specializations in the field of machine learning, looking at fields like computer vision, um, you know, and other areas? Why did you think the natural language processing was where you really wanted to do more research on? Wow. 
Thank you for that question. I think this um, this this is really a personal question to me because um, um, you know I said earlier that I'm from the Democratic Republic of Congo. For yes. those that are aware, that is a French-speaking country. So I've done all my you know high school, undergrad, uh, you know, honor degree, everything. I've done it in French. So um, I, I didn't know anything of English uh, during that time. So uh, basically, when I decided to go, I wanted to do first a master degree in. Uh, Nairobi, Kenya. So, okay. um, thank to God, my parents was able to send me to Kenya to learn first English because I wanted to learn in an English-speaking country. So, I spent some months in Kenya, Nairobi, uh, a beautiful country, by the way, uh, just to to learn English and to be able to understand, you know, the course that will be taught by me, uh, by professor at the University of Nairobi. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of not obvious because my parents has to uh, assist me, you know, to travel. I had to take some part job to be able to pay for my house rent and stuff like that. And uh, that kind of drive my motivation to get into uh, natural language processing and specifically machine translation because I, I realized that there is a lot of huge amount of knowledge and resources that are available outside there for free. But one of the limitations for a lot of Africans is those resources are mostly in English or in Chinese or Japanese or whatever uh, language that uh, 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 those resources are made they are in. So there are a limitation that people have those things for free, but they can't get access to it because they don't know those languages. So that's really uh, what motivated me to get interested to natural language processing because I, I knew first that I needed to work on something that would do translation. And later on, when I talked to some you know uh, senior researchers, they told me that machine translation is part of natural language processing. And that is the way I find myself researching in natural language processing. Oh wow! Like I'll reiterate again, um, Solomon. It's just it's just amazing to to kind of sense the passion, even though we, we are not really seeing physically right now because this interview <laughs> is conducted over um, yeah. a voice IP software. But I mean, I could sense the passion in your voice. And once again, I'm really delighted that you're an African researcher. Thank you so much once again, Solomon, for for everything you're doing. Yeah, uh, welcome. Uh, really. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, yeah. I think you're the best person to ask this next question because as a researcher, as an NLP researcher for that matter, you are closer to what the progress is like and what the state of the technology is like in Africa. So it's just looking at the broader scheme of things, you know, what's the state of natural language processing technology in Africa right now? Hmm. That's an excellent question. Um, I think uh, currently uh, in Africa, um, the, the, to answer this question before I give my, my personal viewpoint is you can sense this in uh, how uh, represented are papers that address uh, African uh, language issue in African language in top NLP conference. For example, okay. the MNLP uh, conference, uh, which is the empirical uh, method in natural language processing conference, which is one of the top conferences in natural language processing. Uh, if you look at the percentage of accepted paper that address specifically an uh, issue in African languages, you see that it's not uh, even uh, more than 10%. I don't even if it is more than 5%. Just to say that state of natural language processing in Africa is in a very early stage. So uh, okay. we have currently movements where uh, I'm really excited every day to be part of this big movement, which is not as Masakani. Uh, maybe uh, I will talk more about it later on. Uh, but we are basically in that uh, movement trying to 
construct the first baseline. Like uh, I, I was excited to work on my mother tongues with Chinuba to create a machine translation baseline that do English to Chinuba translation. When I share it with some of my friends back home, they're excited to see, wow, can, can this be possible? Can I just write something in English and see it in Chinuba? These things are made possible by a group of researchers around the, uh, the, the continent. Uh, we have amazing uh, researchers from all over Africa, from different universities, and we are working together to create the first baseline of African languages. We have Nigerian languages, we have Kenyan languages, almost uh, uh, all the African languages are represented within Masakan. So there are movements like that, the deep learning in Dapa, we have also uh, the, Afri- uh, the Ghana NLP, we have movements like that that are starting up. They are very recent movements in less, I think there is no movement with more than five years, so uh, we, we have just very recent movement that are starting up uh, to try to address the issue because we have realized that we need to tackle it now. We need to get started. And I'm really excited on uh, what the future uh, has for us. But uh, it, it's going to be amazing, I can tell you for sure. Oh, well, it's surely going to be amazing. I mean, with researchers like you uh, working on making NLP a walkable technology in Africa and better in Africa and for Africans, it's definitely yeah. the future is definitely in safe hands, let me put it that way. Now, what are the challenges surrounding the progress of NLP with African data? Because now you, you said you, you were talking about the percentage of submissions in one of the largest NLP conferences and how low it is. You know, but what are the challenges surrounding the progress of you know, NLP technology with African data you know, for African problems? Hmm. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that uh, beautiful question. Uh, 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 this is... Uh, a deep question because um, you know that machine learning in general we need data so basically yeah. you can't do any machine learning without data so and NLP as well need a huge amount of data so one of the big issue and challenge with NLP is the lack of data uh, for a lot of African languages. Um, okay. uh, uh, when I got started, for example, in, in uh, machine translation, I had a course uh, back then, the University of Western Cape in South Africa. I, I knew that, okay, for doing machine translation, I need some parallel corpuses in language A and another corpus in language B so that I can feed it into a model and, you know, train a model. So I, I knew yeah. that and I was excited to see, okay, this is easy. I did a sample on, uh, in class, a group project when we did it in English and French. Amazing. Let me now go and work in our language. I now went online to check if there are any corpus of data in Lingala or in Chuluba. You know what? I didn't get any. I keep searching. I, I say, okay, let me stop this way. Let me, for example, go to uh, all the, the known journals, like local journals uh, that publish everyday, uh, you know, journals to, to, to give information to, to people in the country. I realized that those websites only publish papers, like they just publish on paper and they don't upload the digital format on the web. And that was a challenge. So basically, if you want those data, you need yourself to start scanning those papers, find a way to transform those images to text. And it is challenging because the, 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 the way uh, the, the things are working in our in continent, in Africa, people are not much aware of making things digital for researchers to use later on. They just think that when I publish a paper, when I publish a news, it's just for people to read and that all. No, they should be aware that those news are telling stories. Those data are not there to be just packed on a room as archive. The archive is not just for fun, so that when people come to, to your, your, your office, they can say that there is a room of archive. No, it has been made 
made so that people can read that data to see what is the story be, be in the data and how can we use it to predict the future and do machine learning on it. So that's one of the biggest challenges in uh, the African continent is how are you getting, how are you going to get data to do machine learning? And uh, I think this is what I can say uh, with regard to the question. Yes, of course. Um, it's no news to practitioners and you know, as, as well as uh, researchers that data is generally a common problem for the progress of any machine learning technology at all, be it natural language processing or computer vision or all of those things. But yeah. you know, talking about specific to Africa, yes, you know, we have low resource data for, for languages and, and all of this. And you talked about Masanke and the community. I guess you'll be talking more about that as the conversation goes on. But yeah. just coming back to, to you, you in this case now, how long do you think it will take us to overcome these challenges? As you're talking about data, um, low resource data, yeah. for example, how long do you think it will take us to overcome this particular challenge and have a working yeah. NLP technology for Africa? Uh, so, um, yeah, so I think this, uh, it's difficult for me to give a, uh, the exact, um, but I will try to estimate uh, how long I think. And, uh, and okay. my own opinion, it will take us to at least get some uh, working NLP technologies because we should know for sure that even for uh, higher resources language as English, uh, mm -hmm. there's still uh, a lot of work to do. Uh, NLP yeah. is not a solved uh, solve problem. There are papers every day we're trying to push the boundary, push, uh, you know, the state of the art to do better than what we have already. So I think that as the state of NLP in Africa, if uh, we decide to start investing, believing and supporting researchers across the continent now, I think that in less than 10 years, someone can say that 10 years is too much, but I think that in less than 10 years, if we start working, because building data is not just cutting, putting data together, but there should be a cross interaction between linguists, you know, data mm -hmm. scientists, yeah. researchers working together to make sure that they are not bringing much biasness in the data. So that there should be a cross discipline works to be able to produce relevant data set and do a lot of research to be able to push and to get started and to increase the state of uh, NLP technology in Africa. Uh, I think at my own viewpoint, in less than 10 years, we can reach that, that level uh, of having, uh, you know, uh, you will not hear anyone in Africa saying that my language is low resources. If we can all together start working on it now, not more now. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Solomon, for such insight. I mean, 10 years might seem like a long time, but trust me, technology is a somewhat a magical thing because yeah. sometimes you might think it's 10 years that, you know, because of the exponential progress, it's back like two, three, four years and everything's done. But I, I completely agree with you, Solomon, like just giving us the 10 years timeline, we should be able to have languages, African languages equally represented in a large corpus of data and have a working NLP technology. Now, I think we will stress a lot about um, Africa being um, historically underrepresented and talking about global advances. You talked about Siri not being able to recognize your African name. And because we are historically underrepresented here in Africa, 
you know, are there steps being taken to solve the challenges of biases in text data? Because I assume that if Siri can't really understand your African name, then that's yeah. that sort of a bias in, in the NLP system with Siri or general um, system there. You know, are there steps being taken to solve the challenge of biases in textual data and, you know, making this technology, this NLP technology, in quotes, responsible for Africans? Hmm. Yeah, thank you for uh, that wonderful question. I think that there are uh, a lot of uh, initiatives that that are going on because, you know, talking of biasness in text data, mm-hmm. uh, biasness definitely in the field of natural language processing, it's also biasness in machine learning in general. So yes. um, basically there are a lot of uh, initiatives like the African Master of Machine Intelligence. Uh, so that this is the program that I'm part of and I'm basically finishing soon. Uh, and this program has been funded by uh, Google and, and Facebook. So they give uh, money to, to support the young Africans to be able to get into the field of machine learning first. If for the moment you do a survey, for example, you ask to send it to anyone who is talking machine learning or, or anyone who's doing machine learning, asking him, where did you learn machine learning? I can assure you, you will get less than 1% of people that will tell you that they learn it through university. Because our traditional universities are not teaching those subjects, even though those are things that are currently going on in the world. So this is uh, a real odd subject in computer science currently, but you have Department of Computer Science in our uh, countries that don't teach those things. So just saying that we have a wonderful program as the MMI uh, that is both in Rwanda and and in Ghana for the moment. And those are steps that have been made to, because I believe that the issue of biasness cannot just be solved by trying to unbiased data only. I believe that you need to add representation of people that will be affected by those technology. So uh, you, you, you need to avoid having biasness, like to avoid the technology to be biased toward African, you need to have African in your research team that will be able to test the technology, that will be able, for example, if you are doing a translation, for example, you are doing translation from English to uh, Kosa or to, to Swahili, and if you don't speak Swahili, you just rely on blue score. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Who told you that the blue score will make sense in Swahili? Because language are morphologically different. Uh, it's not the same. Maybe the blue score is higher, but someone speaking Swahili will say that this is nonsense. This translation doesn't actually making sense. Even if the blue score, the alignment of diagram and the, and the trigram are making sense, but the one reading it, the one knowing the language can feel that they are biasness in the translation. So I think uh, uh, having African themselves in the field, working in natural language processing, involved in the collection of data, involved in building model is one step on in reducing biasness in text data. So initiatives like the African Master of Machine Intelligence are a great initiative. Uh, if you're interested in, in NLP and you're interested in, uh, uh, in machine learning in general, those are a good place to, to start to apply. And also initiatives like uh, the deep learning in Daba, which uh, is uh, uh, it happened every year, unfortunately, because of the COVID this year, uh, it will be virtual uh, and we will not be able to meet because usually we meet in a specific African country. Last year we were in Nairobi. I was delighted to, to be there physically to see uh, researchers from all over the world meeting in Africa and discussing how can we solve African problems and how can we push uh, you know, uh, the state of machine learning in the continent of Africa. So uh, a part of that last year, I will add also Masakane that are working because basically in the state of Masakane, currently we are working both in uh, 
machine translation and name entity recognition. And there is also uh, a new initiative that is coming up. This is the speech recognition part where we're trying also to do some work on recognizing African languages that also to address the issue that I previously spoke of, uh, for example, Siri, not recognizing African languages. If we can build speech recognition systems that are made by African and evaluated by African, this will really change the story. Yeah, absolutely. It's just wonderful knowing that there are lots of steps being taken to make sure that underrepresented history in Africa is, is being kind of taken care of sort of when it comes to natural language processing and technology. And we're going to be linking yeah. AMMI and the links to deep learning in the bar, of course, the, perhaps the, the largest deep learning conference in Africa. We're going yeah. to link in those today in the description so listeners can have a look at those right after the show. All right, Salomon, are there any specific applications that you think natural language processing would be very optimal for that businesses or you know, institutions solving problems in Africa you know, should focus on for African problems? Do you think there are um, some very, very key applications that these problem solvers should take advantage of when it comes to using natural language processing to solve African problems? Mm. Wow. Uh, thank you for that uh, wonderful question again. <laughs> so... Um, I will be a little bit biased here <laughs> because, you okay. know, uh, in my answer, so uh, it's a little cold, but uh, at my own viewpoint, I think that machine translation specifically is a good opportunity for, for business and institution to focus on because, you know, uh, African is, Africa is well known for, you know, how rich we, we have uh, our minerals, you know, uh, yeah. our underground and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So yes. uh, we need uh, people that come to trade with us, people that come to discuss with us, to be able to communicate. You know, in the past, it has been like, we need some translators that uh, should be there to communicate because those people, maybe those, uh, you know, the, the kings or people that are in power are not able to understand, uh, you know, French, English or, or Chinese, yeah. stuff like that. But yeah. if we work on improving the machine translation space, it will allow a fair business. So people, the, the leader himself will be communicating with people because when you add the middleman, you add also a risk, you know, of biasness due to uh, the third party that is included. So if there is direct contact and relying on technology that's supposed to be unbiased in, in that, that sense and that will help the business to be fair and you know and it will help also people that coming to, to do business to have a proper communication with people that are selling the product because I believe that if there is no proper communication there yeah. will be issues that will rise up later. So as I said earlier I will be a little bit biased because I'm passionate about machine translation and I think mm -hmm. that yeah. machine translation is a good opportunity for businesses and institutions to focus on. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah definitely machine translation. Um, such a fascinating application in that sense and, you know, can help solve a, a lot of problems if we take a look at it. But generally speaking, you know, how would you advise these businesses and institutions solving problems in Africa, of course, to leverage progress in NLP? Because if you look at the global progress right now, talking about progress in unsupervised and self-supervised types of machine learning language-based models, or, you know, when you talk about transformer-based models like BERT, Google BERT, and even more recently, in fact, you talk about GPT-3, uh, which is like yeah. making the entire wave now, all these language-based models, you know, 
and you look at the applications whereby you go on Twitter and you're seeing applications where people are using GPT-3 to file their taxes, you know, to design, you know, to, to make mockups, HTML mockups or make design mockups pretty much. And people are kind of panicking. And saying, oh, it's yeah. my job on the threat or not or, or things like that. You know, and yeah. we're kind of looking back home here in Africa and saying, so is GPT-3 going to be useful for businesses and solutions solving problems? Or how can these businesses really help um, use these progress in language-based models to help solve problems in Africa? Or, you know, or generally looking at the broader scheme of things, how can we look at this progress and say, okay, fine, is, this the, is it the right time to use this particular technology to solve problems or we should wait for researchers to you know, to do more exploration and get to a more advanced state of the earth, stable technology before we begin to take advantage of it. Yeah. So um, thank you for, for, for the question again. You yeah. know, specifically in, in the African context, as, as we were discussing earlier, we are in the field of natural language processing. We are in a very early stage, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, we are now trying to build basically baseline for machine translation, trying mm-hmm. to build uh, in a lot of language, African languages, they are not even embeddings. They are not even pre-trained embeddings that are available, basically. They are not existing. Oh, wow. So there are people that are basically trying to create those things. So today, people are talking of, uh, you know, GPT-3, uh, you know, GPT-2 before that, and uh, all those big language models. And uh, you realize, just look at the number of parameters that those models have been trained on. Uh, yeah. it's, it's it's huge and uh, yeah. basically I think I I think I read uh, GPT-3 was about 175 billion parameters if I'm not mistaken and took a imagine? lot of money to train <laughs> yeah yeah so in those number of parameters, you can't even load it in your computer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you, you can't even just load the model. So uh, how what about training it? So uh, I think that those things are exciting and it's good to see that happening for, for, for higher resource languages. And basically even for the higher resource language, we are still studying to try to see if we can, you know, uh, use them practically in the decision-making step. So as yeah. uh, in the context of Africa, this should be a motivation for us to make sure that we are building the good foundation for the field, like trying to make sure that for, 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 for the amount of data that we have, what can we do with basic model? Because mm-hmm. when we yeah. look at the accuracy of those models, the number of parameters, this lead to a simple conclusion that those models need a lot of data to be trained on. Yeah. A lot of data. And because we don't have data, we can't just take that. It's like you are taking a bazooka to shoot a mosquito. It doesn't work like that. Perfect. You, you, Perfect you, are, wasting, you, are, you are wasting resources. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. should find first uh, a, a way to deal with small models to make it work perfectly and the achievement and the improvement, what is going in the field should have should be like a motivation for you to be able to push further and to push the progress to reach that level where we have enough data to make also those transformers and as well as uh, GPT-3 work in Swahili or in Lingala or in Kikongo or in any other African language outsider. Yo, wow. It's, uh, thank you so much for, for such very, very clear message to listeners here looking to apply GPT-3 yeah. for, for African problems. <laughs> we are not there yet. You know, we have to solve the yeah. challenge of low resource data we have for, um, the numerous languages we have on the continent before looking at applying very advanced and transformer based models or technologies to, um, to solve our problems. So thank you so much once again, Salomon, for, you know, such amazing insights. Now, um, moving back to the African data scientist here, 
I'm sure most of our listeners will probably be looking at oh, how should I, you know, get started learning NLP and, you know, what are best resources or tips or things like that. Now, I'm kind of tempted to help them understand based on your perspective. What are the pitfalls for these African data scientists who are just getting started learning NLP or probably they are applying NLP technology to solve societal problems before? You know, what are the pitfalls for them to avoid whether learning or applying the technology to solve problems? Hmm. Wow. Uh, it's a wonderful question. And thank you for, for the question again. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this question is highly linked with the previous one uh, okay. because I think that uh, one of the pitfalls for someone who's trying to learn NLP now is GPT-3 <laughs> or is Transformers. Yeah. <laughs> you can just jump on it. You can, mm-hmm. you can just go and throw, throw your data on a transformer just because <laughs> it's the state of the art. So yeah. don't just focus on the state of the art. If there is one single message that someone who is trying to get into NLP right now, I can tell you, don't focus on the state of the art. Okay. Focus on the foundational, the foundational papers. When you want, start with recurrent neural network. For example, okay. study LSTM. How does it work? So study how, how uh, historically people have been dealing with sequential data. So one of the advice that I would suggest to anyone who is trying to get started in NLP is uh, uh, start reading foundational papers. Uh, don't just go to archive or any website to try to look at what are the papers that have been published in 2020 or 2019. Some of the papers that will help you is from 1997. Maybe okay. it may be the paper that did the foundation of Pro. Read it, understand the intuition. Yeah. Because when you have the intuition, you may bring to us GPT 20 or GPT 21. Who knows? So the point here is not just jumping to big technology or using those big language models, but the point here when you are getting started or when you want to use those things in your career as a data scientist is to understand the genesis the origin of those things. What are the backbone? What are the foundation that make those things work? How do people move from using a simple recurrent neural uh, model, recurrent neural, uh, recurrent neural network, you know, LSTM, GRU, attention, transformers, try to study all those things, get the intuition so that even if, because today, Transformers can become irrelevant. Who knows? If it is moving yeah. much more quickly, you know, uh, uh, all those language models can change absolutely. But if you don't have a foundation, you get lost because you come you come into the field in the middle, not knowing what happened in the past, just trying to enjoy what is going on now. This would be a very unfortunate situation. Make sure that you know the history. Make sure that you get the foundation for you to be able to adjust yourself if there is any change. I completely agree with you, Solomon. I'm talking about understanding the foundational, getting the the basics right before moving to state of the art, because I I think that's where um, lots of learners get you wrong. You know, they start with the old applying the advanced transformer-based models, GPT-3, GPT-2, and it really excites them because these are these are technologies that you know they really solve problems. But under the hood, it's really not uh, kind of um, related to what they can do for Africa, like you said. We have to make sure that we tackle the, the from the foundations, understand what's going on in the foundations. Then I really hope that GPT-10 can perhaps come out from Africa and using way less um, parameters than than what GPT-3 is right now, because uh, it's be fascinating to see that you know we can use 
and we can have a workable GPT four, five, ten model for African yeah. data, African data, and um, uses way less parameters that you can easily run on your computer. That would be fascinating to to see. Uh, I believe that as well. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, um, <laughs> Salomon, once again. And I, I think th- this question, although linked to some of the you know previous points you made, but I really think that it deserves a place of its own. You know, how do you think global improvements in NLP, we've, of course, we've talked about GPT-3 like a lot right now, and gl- global improvements in NLP technology in the coming years would affect how we apply this NLP technology to solve African problems? Ooh, uh, this is a difficult one as well. And uh, yeah, so uh, I will try to, to answer it as much as I can. Okay. So, um, so I first things, a point that I want to make here, like... Uh, there is no better than uh, an African itself mm-hmm. to solve African problem. Yeah. So um, I, I, I believe that uh, there is a lot of improvement in NLP technology that, that is there already, that is coming, that is, will be continuing coming every day, every single day there are papers that are published that push the boundary of knowledge in the field of natural language processing. But to have those technology able to help solve African problem, we need to have African people represented in those in big labs that are mm-hmm. bringing that that are you know constructing those technology. Yeah. We have we need to have African researchers on the continent studying those technology and trying to see the problem that we have because you can't take someone from the U.S. who has been living all his life in the U.S. To solve a problem in Africa if it has never been affected by that problem, for example. Yeah. So if an African has been affected by a particular problem, is a farmer, for example, he has an issue on, on how to deal with his clients, uh, he has a lot of clients, he wants to do the chatbot or something like that. There are some kind of cultural issues that can arise. How do you respond to people? How do you, you know, communicate with local people? All those things are not that something that you can learn in, uh, you know, in an online course somewhere or uh, from Harvard or Stanford. No, those are things that are really, it has to do a lot with, you know, the African culture. And there is yeah. no one who is in the better position than the African himself who understand the challenge that he's going to, who understand how that problem is affecting him to be able to apply those technology and use them to solve African problems. So uh, if I can iterate that again in yeah. saying that for, for, for us to be able to apply those technologies, they are great technology. They are, yeah. they, they, they are, if you just see what GPT-3, for example, I was amazed to see that GPT-3 can write JavaScript code for you. Can you imagine that? You just, you just tell yeah. it, you, 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 you did it, for example, that I want a model to classify, uh, a, a, you know, a cat and, a, and a dog. It will stack, you know, models do tensor flow import this and write a model that do what you just write uh, in the box to produce. You can see that they are doing a lot of great stuff, but mm-hmm. to make yeah. all those great stuff relevant to solving African problems, we need to have African people in the loop. People that knows our problem, people that knows the technology that knows how we can now make a bridge between the power of the technology and solving the problem that we are facing. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Solomon. And um, just, just a case in point here, just before our conversation, I was watching an interview that our Schwartz had. Uh, our Schwartz is, uh, yeah. is a founder of Starbucks, and he was talking about how they failed 
years in, in China, how the business failed for years in China until they realized mm-hmm. that they, they didn't really know the business in China. It was a Chinese person who would actually know the culture, the tradition, and the business in China for them to properly scale. So they wished right about five or so years, you know, conducting business poorly in China until they switched the CEO to a, a, a Chinese person who actually knew the culture and knew that, you know, you would have great people in China coming to work for you if you respect the elderly people, if you understand their culture and all of those things. And it really, really applies to what we're talking about here, that you can have yeah. somebody in the U.S. really solving African problems while you have Africans really stay there and you don't really bring them in. Diversity is really key to really helping, you know, and, and, and this time I'm really iterating for listeners who might not be Africans, that wherever you, yeah. have, you have a lab that's away from Africa and you're trying to solve problems for a global audience, diversity is really key. And it's only Africans that can really understand the problems that are plaguing Africa. Wonderful insights. Thank you so much yeah. once again, yeah. um, Salomon. Uh, just, just, just adding something there. Mm-hmm. It's one yeah. of your interview with, uh, uh, I think that was with Professor Julia. Me, yes. Um, I think if, yeah, yeah, if I'm not wrong, mm-hmm. um, she, you ask her a question related to, uh, something that was something to do with the state of machine learning or something in African continent. Mm, and biases, I like yeah. <laughs> yes. I like, I like her answer. She said that, okay, I'm in the US, I've been working mm-hmm. in, but I can't say more about what is going on in the African context. Yes. So we need people to acknowledge that, okay, I'm, I'm a great researcher, I'm good, but there are things that has to do with reality in a specific location mm-hmm. that my knowledge only will not be enough to solve the problem. That was a, a wonderful answer for, for Professor Julia. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much once again. We'll link to that podcast and the, the show notes for listeners to get, get a listen. Solomon, I think we're coming to the end of this wonderful conversation and you know, it would be, be a taboo for me not to, to ask you this. Do you have specific resources you'd love to share to our listeners where you know, they can learn more about NLP and especially in the context of Africa? Oh, great. Um, yeah, so basically that, that's actually uh, one uh, very important uh, question for specifically, uh, as we say that we want a lot of representation in Africa. We are not hoping three to start working or, you know, stone to start mm-hmm. doing NLP. We want real people, uh, African, someone who's listening to this podcast, someone yeah. who's watching this, I don't know, from whatever you are. Uh, uh, we need you to come into the field. So uh, you may not have a mathematical background. Maybe you just need medicine. Or we have a lot of researchers, actually. Uh, I realize that they don't even uh, have a master's degree or undergrad degree in mathematics or in engineering. They just, they are passionate about mm-hmm. yeah. how they can use natural language processing to solve their own problem. And those people are actually doing amazing research and coming up with results that we are using today. So mm-hmm. I will advise anyone who is interested, a good start is there is this book uh, from a professor, I think he's from Stanford, this is Professor Dan Jurafsky. Uh, the book is, uh, the title is Speech and Language Processing. Okay. I think this is the best one. Uh, okay. I think the third, it, it's free online. Uh, if you just uh, start type uh, on, on Google Speech and Language Processing, uh, the third edition is currently being written. So the draft is available online. Uh, and uh, you can start from there. Uh, when you read the introduction, they just give some kind of uh, illustration introduction to natural language processing. They discuss uh, all the foundation of the network, everything up to the modern, you know, 
uh, and things that are going on. As I said, the book is currently being written. It means that there are some chapters that are not, you know, completely filled because they are still uh, improving the, the book. But the previous edition, like the second edition that are that is full by, I think that one is not free. Uh, it's on Amazon or something. And uh, yeah, I would advise you as a first resource to look at it. And specifically in machine translation or in uh, natural language processing, I will advise you to join Masakani. We are always happy to welcome new Masakani. So we have people that didn't uh, that uh, didn't uh, know anything about machine learning, but when they come to Masakani, we have uh, you know weekly meeting. We meet every week. So in doing that week, you get you get uh, you know people that uh, uh, have a lot of experience in machine learning that kind of help you to get started to create your first baseline. We have every single week people submitting new benchmarks. So we will be delighted to have you. Just type on Google Masakani. I think uh, we may, uh, as uh, Stephen said, we had the link to Masakani. Just click there, uh, contact and send an email, join our Slack channel. We'll be able to assist you in how to get started. How can you also work on your specific language? Imagine, I don't know which language you are speaking now, anything good yourself with your hand your own hand, I mean, with your own computer, building your your, your, your your model that we do translation from French, from English, from Chinese, to your own mother tongue. That would be amazing. So those are the first resources in the book. The second one, John Masakane, and uh, we will continue the discussion from there. All right. Um, thank you so much, Solomon, for that. We're going to be linking um, to the description, the link to join Masakane, and um, the, also the link to the draft you talked about, the book as well, so that our listeners can, you know, have a look after listening to, to the show. Once again, Solomon, I can't really state enough how much I've learned from this particular episode. It's been so, so insightful and enlightening. Do you have any departing thoughts for our listeners? You know, maybe a golden advice or, you know, something close. Oh, thank you very much, Stephen, for, for having me. Um, mm. It was really a privilege to, to be on stage with you. Yeah. And uh, thank you for the work that you are doing. I uh, When I, I got to email, I had uh, an opportunity to just try to see uh, some of your work in the past and uh, what you have been doing. And I think that we need more people like you. Uh, your work is amazing and inspiring us to go again further and push uh, uh, the boundary of knowledge in Africa solve our own problem. Thank you for that. Uh, to answer your question, um, okay, so uh, if there's one last thing that I would like to share with our listener, um, every day when I wake up, personally, uh, you know, I always, before I, 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 I go in, into the lab, start working, I usually uh, ask, because I, I, I like using Siri, I always ask Siri, can you tell me what is on my calendar for today? So it's just starting telling me that I have this meeting, this meeting, I have yeah. this just to remind me. Uh, so I'm kind of a fan of uh, the same thing with Alexa for, mm -hmm. for people yeah. that like Amazon product or Google Talk. So it's, those technology are available. You know, people in Africa, we are buying those latest iPhone, latest Android. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the things that uh, always feel uh, it's making me sad to know that they, uh, there is peop some people in my country that, uh, or in other country in Africa that have those powerful tools, those powerful phones, uh, but uh, they can't benefit those technology. For example, uh, before I sleep, sometimes I'm tired. I'm just saying, Siri, please schedule an alarm for me at 6.30 because I have a meeting with Stephen or something like that. So I don't have to go to my iPad. I'm tired. I just sleep. I know for sure that it will do that action. But 
those power are limited if you don't speak language like English or French or some other languages. So I'm, I'm thinking of someone who uh, has money to buy those phones. He's paying the same amount with someone who also speaks English, but is I can give an illustration. I like giving an illustration. Basically, you are like someone using an airplane to drive in a road with other car and get stuck on traffic. But yeah. you don't know that that airplane can fly. So basically, let's work. Let's put our hand together. Let's associate ourselves, put our strength together to be able to have those technologies support our language or build our own technology that will be able to provide data that those companies can use to incorporate it in the system so that it will be responsive for our language and we can benefit from the technology. One last thought that I would like to add. Recently, I was working on a speech project where I was supposed to read things in my mother tongue. I thought that I still know my mother tongue until I was about to read a full paragraph in my mother tongue. I realized that I'm kind of starting forgetting my own mother tongue. We are losing our origins. We are losing, yeah. you know, a, what makes the origin of a people is its language, is yeah. the way we were communicating. Today, we have people that are from Nigeria, but that they can't speak their own mother tongues. They just speak English. No, <laughs> you should be able to know your origin, to know. And if we are not working in bringing our language in the digital form, I'm sorry, those languages may disappear yeah. because the world is going digital. Let's wake up. And because of our continent, put our hands together and make this happen. Well, so Solomon, it's been a wonderful conversation with you once again. How can listeners contact you and learn more about your work? Oh, great. Um, I, I think my, my uh, Twitter account, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my, my DM is open. So okay. it's uh, just Solomon Kabongo uh, 1. Uh, I have tweet Solomon Kabongo 1 if you, you type on Twitter. And basically, if you Google my name, Solomon Kabongo, you will see my website as well, my LinkedIn. Uh, I will be free. Uh, 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 okay, if you contact me on LinkedIn or on email. And uh, yeah, I will also share with you my uh, personal email um, that. Uh, if someone wants to send me an email, you can, you can write to that email. Okay. Those links, your website, Twitter, LinkedIn um, profiles will be in the show notes as well as your email. Thank you so much once again. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening to the show today. Every link we mentioned will be in the show notes, so you can check the show notes after listening to this. Thank you. Well, Solomon, once again, Solomon, of course, you can still contact Solomon via the, the, the links mentioned in the show notes. And before, I think we have nothing else. So till next time, please stay safe, listeners. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.